0: Many of us dream of major transformations of our homes, of having a top designer sweep in and totally redo our rooms, creating a whole new way of living, a new aesthetic, a fantasy come true. But let's face it, sometimes small changes are all we really need or want. Maybe your curtains are looking tired and worn, or you come across a few yards of fabric that would make fantastic pillows to re-energize your family room. You discover a great vintage chair on Cherish, but you want to have it reupholstered. These small changes can have a huge impact, but sometimes they're harder to grapple with than a major renovation. I'm fortunate today to have three people who understand that big visions emerge from small changes and that small projects often lead to big success. Elizabeth Calderon, after a career in fashion and retail, took over an upholstery business in Pleasantville and northern Westchester and transformed it into a retail design shop called Tape Measure. And she's expanded to services way beyond upholstery to now offer a full range of design services to her many clients. Welcome, Elizabeth.
1: Thank you, Michael. Nice to be here.
0: We also have interior designer Michael Tavano and Lloyd Marks. Together, they founded Marks and Tavano Workroom in 1998, when Michael had difficulty finding artisans and professionals skilled enough to execute his designs. Before long, they had a long list of A-listers coming to them to execute everything from window treatments, upholstery, and custom bedding to home automation. Michael's design career has flourished, even as the workroom has expanded and evolved in a way they could never have predicted. Hello, Michael. Hello, Michael. Good to see you. And welcome, Lloyd.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: This idea actually came from one of our listeners, which we love when listeners suggest ideas, a woman named Laura Alexander. And she's a young homeowner, and she has design issues. But as she says, she's not in the budget where she could afford Miles Red or one of those major designers to come in. And she was saying she would love to do like a skirted console table, but she doesn't know who to execute it. She wanted to get some fabric lampshades, but she has no idea how to measure a lampshade or where to get the fabric. So that sort of inspired this idea. So I'd love to get a sense. We'll start with Lloyd and Michael, because you have a kind of a different story, because Michael, you are a professional designer and a very talented one, as I know. Thank you. And Lloyd, how did you create the workroom and how did you initially find the artisans?
2: Hmm. You know, it's interesting. We had a very small crew to start with. And after we kind of established ourselves with a very small, kind of a small business, we wound up actually asking our vendors was actually how we wound up finding artisans for the most part right. and then once you were once we were part of a social group <laughs> we seemed to expand that way that was the best way that we've been able to find new people as far as artisans go is just maintaining our staff that we've had over the years through you know people that we found through vendors basically and
3: then we started training interns. Once we got our core staff and they were doing exactly the way we wanted it, we started taking interns in, teaching them our ways and the way that we like to have things done.
0: And did you always do designers or did you also have people come in like our listener who had problems like they wanted certain things made? Or has it only been to the trade?
3: We've really only been to the trade. And that's always been our core focus. That's been our focus. Right. We, we um, do have time consumers changed.
2: periodically, and <laughs> we're not completely set up for that because we don't have all the fabulous books and fabric samples on hand right. necessarily because they're selected and sent to us very often.
0: So you mostly work with designers. But Elizabeth, you, on the other hand, a Tape Measure, you are a retail shop well, you do have a lot of fabric books and rug samples and all of that, but ha- explain how you got into it. I mean, I know, but I would love the listeners to hear this story. I think it's fascinating.
1: Well, I was exhausted from the fashion business, and I wanted to do something that really felt you know, <laughs> very familiar and yet a little more creative. At the same time, there was a woman selling a business. She had a partner. They were older. She was ready to retire. And so we bought this business, but it was really just a little upholstering shop. And it was really, she really hated having books. She had a few. She said, oh, they always want to send me so many books. I don't want those books. Most of my customers, <laughs> they take up too much room. Most of my customers buy their fabric and come and see me. Well, I have no skills as an upholsterer. My husband is also my partner. He has no skills. We, as an upholsterer right so my skill was textiles and fashion and all of that my husband was an MBA he worked in publishing he worked in all all different aspects of some kind of media anyway so this was something he could do and he also had an MBA so he could do more of the finance and I could be the front and so the plan was to kind of make it our own and as soon as I really got into it I thought you know I'm never going to sell this junky stuff, these books that she has, because you just don't relate to them. My contemporaries wouldn't. This was 10 years ago. So I went into the market, and just as I was trained as a buyer, I was a merchandise manager. So I went into the market, and I found all the great stuff. And some people had books, some don't. If you came to my shop, you'd see that I have so many samples from everyone. If there are books from whoever I prefer, but there are also loads of samples to choose from because I just pull. I just edit. I go in. I love this. Give me all the colors. I love that. I, I work as a designer, really. Anyway, and in time, people got turned on by the textiles, right? And so we traded up the business enormously. And she had two other upholsterers who worked for her, and they were our backbone in terms of talent.
0: Because that's what I wanted to ask you about. is like, because she eventually retired. She stayed on for a while. Yes.
1: Although she still works for us a little part-time at home. Oh, okay, great. Mm -hmm.
0: And you have these two other ones. But then as business expanded, how did you find the the craftsmen and the artisans to work with you?
1: There was one person outside that she liked to lean on because he did great work and he was nearby. And he, we started giving him, we got busier and busier. And so we started giving him more work. And it's, we sort of have a partnership with him now because he has a very big workroom and he can withstand his regular business and all of ours. So that's kind of- how it works. There are certain things we know he's better at. There are certain things, you know, you know, right? You recognize who does beautiful, this, tufting, whatever it is, leather, whatever it is. And so we, you know, we try to be very careful about who gets what.
0: And Michael, how is it for you? Because you guys, Lloyd and and Tavano, the workroom, you work with a lot of designers, but you also do your own designs as well, right? Right. Well, for many years, we kept it very separate.
3: And my design business was a very quiet type of business. I had really great clients for years. A lot of my clients I've had for 30 some years. And we had made a decision to combine both of them and promote it as that, you know, there's someone in the workroom, I would oversee the production in the workroom. Lloyd always took care of the business side of it. I was more the creative side of it. So you had a designer in the workroom that could see the entire vision that the designer that was coming to us was uh-huh. doing, versus a lot of workrooms only understood their one portion or piece of it. Right. So we promoted it as a... We were email. able to assist.
2: Yes. And possibly solve difficult window situations or... All right. You um, know, or you for see
3: problems that-, that were coming up, like, you know, you're putting millwork in here. When's it going in? Then we can measure it. Or you're putting the sofa here. Just you know, how are you going to reach that shade
2: control with right. the sofa in front of that? So window? it
3: was all these little, <laughs> these little things, and and being able to suggest how to work with fabrics. I have a big background in textiles. So when a designer would come to me and ask me about a fabric, I would be able to tell them yes or no, or I'd say, you know what, get me in guard. Let us play with that. So there was that wonderful creative process back and forth, um, which I loved. I really loved, and it ended up being a really good thing. Some designers didn't like it because they, in a really silly way, thought I was going to take their clients. And right, well, like, that's what I was trying to ask. If yeah, this it's conflict like, of I, interest I, or whatever. I'm like, you know what? I don't want your client. That's right. your client. There's my pie is big enough, and I'm right. playing my pie. You have your pie. Plus, right. as a designer, they're going to
2: bring us business every month.
1: Or, right.
2: right. Right. Why and would you right. stab them right. in exactly. the back? Exactly. Right. Why would you? Why would you attempt to do anything that way? That you know. But have you ever like had to say way.
0: to a designer like, "You're crazy. You can't use this fabric this way, or this is never going to work," or oh, because
2: never. I
0: know <laughs> <never>. <laughs> I take it that was okay. yeah.
2: We have we have a rule. We have a three time rule. We say, well, I don't think that's going to be the greatest thing in this situation, and we say it two more times, and then we say, okay, we're going to do it, but just know right. that this is possible, right. that this is going to happen, and you have to sign right. off on and, it, and uh, because it normally it's you know it's it's challenging, there's very challenging fabrics out there, right, <laughs> that are that are stretchy, that are whatever. Right. Michael, you told me a story about
0: somebody wanting curtain rods and there was just no way that they could have the kind of curtain rods they have because of the window. and. Right. It just does. It It doesn't work. And always to try to suggest a different option, keeping in the
3: aesthetic that they were trying to do. But sometimes you just you can't. So you just have
0: to say,
1: OK. <laughs>
3: yes,
1: absolutely. Right. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> right. Absolutely. <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> Because, Elizabeth, I want to say, you know, they're dealing with professional designers who create, you know, beautiful drawings and they still don't know how to execute them. But you have people coming in. I mean, it's a beautiful shop that you have and you have very sophisticated clients, I'm sure, and customers who come into the store. But how do you explain to them what's possible and what's not possible? Also, I'd love for sense, what do they come into you coming off the street saying, I need, like, is it like this woman who wrote in, she wants a, beautiful, a skirted console table or lampshades? What are the most common things they're looking
2: for?
1: Well, I would say the most common things would be either they're living with a sofa or sofa and chairs, and they know that it's good furniture, and they feel like there's nothing out there like it. I want to keep it. So I'm willing to spend the money to reupholster. So
0: they want to upcycle. They have right. good things in they're
3: Right. That's key, a key thing to talk about, too, is that buying quality furniture. Yes. And when you buy right. quality yes. furniture, you're buying it as a piece that you can reupholster, you can recover with slipcovers. Yes. It's it's a great frame versus a throwaway, which right. you know, for me as a designer, it's always upsetting to buy throwaway furniture, uh, especially the stables. Right. Um when that's
0: a very European thing to get good furniture and pass it on generations, yes. reupholster it ten mm-hmm. times.
1: We also yeah. have a lot of people just on that on the other note. The most common thing is many people have pieces of furniture that might have been their grandparents, their grandmothers. I learned to read in this chair. It was in my grandmother's house. Uh, and I want to bring it back to life. It's got you know, so that kind of thing.
0: The story is a great thing. Yes, they
1: want to carry always. on the story. Yes, right. Right. right.
3: And that should be in a home. That should be part of your your design in your home. Yeah, how
1: nice is that to keep it going? Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning into the Cherish podcast. My name's Anna Brackway, and I'm the co-founder and president of Cherish. Whether you're designing a home office, a project for a recently relocated client, or just adding stylish touches to your own home, Cherish's local inventory is available to ship immediately or even better to be picked up in person today making it easy to source when time is of the essence. Because Cherish's products are ready to ship with no lead times, you can get what you need fast and keep your projects right on schedule. To learn more, visit Cherish.com. That's C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H dot com. And now,
2: back to the show.
0: What about one of the great mysteries of design to me, personally, is window treatments? I mean, cuz i never know what to do with the window myself and you know <laughs> miles red is not coming to my apartment yeah, either right. you know <laughs> unfortunately
2: well he, he likes he likes <laughs> right, <table> exactly so
0: <laughs> you know how do you when people come to you with, with window treatments what do you tell them
1: well we often ask people first to bring in or email us photographs of the room
0: And to kind of pull
1: back so we can see their style, what else is going on, and, you know, make recommendations. People confuse drapes with shades. Oh, I need new shades or I need new drapes. And they mean the opposite. Right. It's unbelievable, but they are not.
2: That's because there's really no common nomenclature for our business in window treatment land because people call the same thing. Even professionals call the same things right. different. That's true. Right. It's different true. names because it's just it's not something that's taught. It's there's no real book. There right. are books, but right. you know, don't right. get me started I on balloon shades ro- versus Roman yeah, right. shades
0: versus, you know, oh <laughs> right. I was
3: just gonna it's, it's unbelievable. It's like, you know, a, a waterfall versus a hobbled Roman. You know, they're they're both the same thing, but people call it different, different things. A Brisbee pleat versus a right. French pleat. It's like right. it's, it's, we do it's pull crazy. out.
1: We do pull out illustrations and say, "Do you mean this?" Yes. I also had I had yes. an intern for a while who put together sort of a catalog of headboards and all kinds of things, so that we could say, "Is this what you're thinking?" or "Is this what you're thinking?" <laughs> and so, you know, to help them get to where they want to go.
3: Yes, it's the same thing with designers. You know, a lot of the younger designers that come out that that haven't really interned a lot. They don't know what they're asking right. for. So from a workroom well, standpoint, ask, right, when
2: there's no right. I mean,
3: right. So from a workroom standpoint, <laughs> we used to, we would get an email from a you know, major designer, a new intern and we'd say, Can you give me a price for a Roman shade? And it's like, uh, okay, what size? <laughs> Is it so lined, line right. blackout right. lined? Right. right. You know, same thing. So we had a whole sheet that we would send to them and say, We'd love to here, look at this and tell us what you're looking for and
1: how about some dimensions
2: (laughs) right right (laughs) because we're not selling a widget we're selling something that's custom for a particular space i'm always
1: saying that's why it's custom (laughs) we need to know and then we'll confirm we're not going to leave it up to you i mean we are just on another note but we also have some often we have designers who can't estimate yardage for pillow covers
0: No, for a pillow Mm -hmm. that's amazing what do they do with the sofa
1: so how much fabric do i need if i'm going to make a 24 by 22 inch pillow Hmm. more than that
0: 36 inches in a yard Mm -hmm. probably a little larger than that but not right several
1: yards
2: (laughs) who would think that we would all be using geometry (laughs) right right Right. Right. But we do every day.
1: They'd rather ask. There's some kind of confidence issue, I think, with numbers.
0: Right. Elizabeth, speaking of confidence, now, obviously, when you started out and you hung out your shingle on this on the street in the charming town of Pleasantville, people would first come to you. They knew it as an poultry business. How long did it take you to win over people's confidence and to get them to say— You know, oh, you know what, I got, my sofa looks great now that it's upholstered, but now the rug is looking a little shabby, or the living room looks great, but now the dining room is, I want to know how you built that. And also the same with you, Michael, where even because working with designers, you had to win over their confidence. But we'll start with you, Elizabeth.
1: Word of mouth kind of got around, and my shop has windows, and I always try to do something dramatic and simple, so it's eye-catching, whatever it might be, wallpaper, fabric, chair, whatever but i think word of mouth was really important people were really happy and they talked about the selection you know we have competition at a lower price 12 miles away for fabric and upholstering, actually. So what's the difference? Well, it's a, you know, it's a very big difference. We have a much larger assortment. And from, and you don't you know, put
0: cardboard in your sofa. And we
1: don't put any cardboard. <laughs> no. But, uh, you know, it's sort of, I think it was more about people come, returning and coming back and saying, my husband loves the whatever, the drapes or the, I can't tell you what those new shades have done. And so they come back and want to do more. There are people, we have customers that are 10 years old now. We've they've come back yeah. and come back.
0: Yeah. It's a little bit addictive, you know? Yeah,
1: no, no, it is.
0: Lloyd and Michael, how did you guys get, build your business with, even within the trade? Because that, you know, as we right. know, many designers are very picky
2: but we and they also don't all like to share their you know, resources. I was gonna say no, that, they don't. Yeah. They don't
3: <laughs> actually. <Yeah. laughs> I moved from Boston. Moved the business from Boston to New York, and we started all over. And that's when Lloyd became part of the business, and that was 22 years ago. Wow. 22 wow. years ago, amazing. And I was friends with Donna Paul, who worked for House Beautiful, and I knew her in Boston. And when we moved to New York, she referred Jamie Drake to us. And
0: Jamie Drake was our very first client in New York. And probably the nicest person in the design on business. So that's planet. a great start. Yes, yeah. Yes. yeah, I would say really one of the nicest people on the planet, yes. actually. He Forget really the design and, business. He's amazing. And,
3: and a smart designer. <laughs> he, he really was. It, I'll tell a quick story. The first job, we did the installation. He came in walking through with the client. The client loved everything, so happy. He left. He came back about 10 minutes later and he said, take a walk with me. So we started walking around the house. He said, "My wood rings I like a quarter of an inch smaller. Take about an eighth of an inch to a half an inch off the break on the floor, and not not do it now." It was a learning process with each other, and that made me want to do so much more for him because he didn't cause an issue with the client. It wasn't a make or break situation. It was just a matter of taste well, and knows, style.
2: Like- the, this These styles are subjective. Yes. 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 So, right, of course, you Absolutely. don't always see, so, you know, it, not everybody sees everything the same way. Right. So, and he completely gets that and, and, and a he lot understands of, the cost to everybody involved in making right. a change like that. And if it's important and it's something that's really key, then it gets taken care of. Right.
0: Right.
3: <laughs> but, but as a young so, designer or someone that's even doing their own place, it's, it's really about understanding more for a young designer, understanding when there's an issue and when there isn't an issue, which I think is important to learn when to make an issue with the client that the client sees and when they don't. And then we built from there. We started doing a lot of charity work, did a lot of uh, industry
2: events. We did a lot of charity.
0: Yes. And show houses and events, things
2: show houses and, you know, you know, diff, uh, a lot of different things. A lot of Without showing you. my leg. We did a lot of... <laughs> 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 They're good legs. <laughs> we, did a lot of, we did a lot of, you know, just a lot of outreach.
0: Elizabeth, I wanted to ask you, like, I, listen, I've known you for, we won't go into how long I've known you for, and I know how terribly sophisticated and elegant you are, but did you face a prejudice that, you know, you're in northern Westchester, this small town, it's a great town, but did did you... Get this feeling from people that, oh, I should go with somebody from New York. Not that you don't, and I know that you go into New York all the time to the D&D and 200 Lex and you know what's going on and you read all the... But was there a a bit of prejudice against you for being
1: local? Well, I don't think so. I mean, it, it is again. Oh, that's yeah, good. I think that's they good to sort know. of respected that. I Someone once made a little snippy remark to me, like, because I must have turned my nose up at something which I'm guilty of sometimes. <laughs> and
0: Sometimes? I'd say often. <laughs>
1: and she said something like, oh, I know, you worked at, I won't say the name, and so I understand where you're coming from, and she walked off. But in general, I think people have been happy that I bring a whole other possibility to the table. That's all.
2: Right. It's a lot of value in... Your eye.
1: Yeah. So, right. yes. I mean, right. Yes, I, exactly. A lot I mean, of value. We spend a lot of time.
0: To get the idea that you're not, you're not just providing upholstery, you're providing a whole design service, a world, wallpaper, you know, your eye and how you guide people is, Lloyd's absolutely right. It's very, very uh, valuable thing that you're providing here. Commodity I mean, that she's providing. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you know, exactly. th- they
1: don't know, th- most people aren't visual. Right. You work with designers, they're visual. But when you work with the public, yes. they're really, and also a lot of times they're really scared to make that commitment. Whether it's for wallpaper or yeah, or fabric, it's, you know, and so I have to say, well. It's a chunk of change. Yeah, it is. Right, it's yeah. like with
3: every every client, it's different for me. It's like some have a visual sense, others don't. Some, I have to make cardboard forms for them to see them in the space because they just can't imagine the scale, even with 3D renderings, even with everything, they still can't imagine yeah. that. Yeah. No. Yeah. And and when it, when they're a new client and they don't have the right. trust in you yet, which is something you build. Trust is is something that's built on both sides. You have to figure out ways to work with each client and how to how to make them comfortable. But once you do that, and once you have that client, and you are earnest with them always, you'll have them for life. Right.
0: Now, here's a, a double-pronged question for all of you. First of all, what about lead times? Because I know that to have something really beautiful made is not an overnight proposition. And I know that with the pandemic and everything, delivery times and things have been skewed. But how do you convince your clients? The designers understand it better, I think, than the general public that you deal with, Elizabeth. But, you know, that it could take six to eight weeks or two months to get Sofa, Or longer, or if you're ordering a a handmade rug from Europe somewhere or India that's going to take time. So, A, how do you convince them of that? And then also, how do you get them to understand the value of what you're creating for them? So, Elizabeth, why don't we start with you?
1: Well, I would say generally in how we approach things with not my design clients, but for people who walk in, we always say... Once we have the fabric in house, we can control that that time we can tell you depending on how busy we are when it comes depending on what we're doing or if we're doing dining room chairs or if we're doing you know drapes in the dining room and living room it's a whole different timeline but the first thing is we need to, we need to have the fabric in the in house and generally speaking even with the pandemic we've had pretty reasonable deliveries i don't know how, how you guys are but I mean, yeah, I can't really well. complain about the textile business for whatever reasons. We we seem to get delivery pretty easily.
3: A lot of the manufacturers, you know, that the showrooms, their lead times have doubled. Oh, it's right. furniture. It's for furniture. It's, right. it's crazy. It's, it's. I mean, we actually time. believe
2: it or not ordered a chair for ourselves <laughs> from some place recently. How daring!
0: Sixteen yes. weeks. Sixteen 15. weeks. Sixteen weeks. Yeah.
2: No, mm-hmm. I believe it. Yeah, yes. I
0: believe it. And so has that been a problem with the clients? I
3: think most of them, they understand it because of the pandemic and what has happened. It's like, you know, a lot of people have been a lot easier now that it's been over a year. In the beginning, it was brutal. Right. Because everyone was so used to getting things and having it on their time frame. But I think a year later now, people are, are a little more understanding. They understand why it's taking longer you know, for everything, for construction.
2: Now, I think they're more understanding. I mean, when Elizabeth mentioned, like, just having the fabric in, for us, like, we try and, I mean, we try and touch a particular product once if we can, or a particular thing that we're making. So having the fabric in, having the final measurements, or having the final design decisions, or maybe there's trim, maybe there's cushions first, or whatever it is that has to go into. But we try and, like, if, if we're working in one residence, we do... We try and send our people there once yes. if it's possible. And that's something that's difficult to get across sometimes. Also, that, you know, if fabric has been delayed by a week or two, that someone isn't just sitting in the workroom waiting for their fabric to arrive yeah. and zip up oh, those yeah, draperies so. today. Right, right. <laughs> yeah.
1: <We're> like,
2: <laughs> you know, we kind of have right a few other it. things that are it's happening. Here.
0: That's you here. You're not our <laughs> only
2: client. Writing. Wonderful
0: argument. It's very you difficult may be.
2: <laughs> to say to somebody, I'm so sorry, but we're working on someone else's thing right now. It's very difficult to say that to someone. They don't really enjoy hearing that. I mean, we really don't say it. We just say we've got other things that are in the workroom at the moment, but it's, I mean, some of it is, all of it is a dance trying to get things completed at the same time, (laughs) if you can. But I would say that most of of the suppliers are, they really have been doing okay with raw goods, I think for the most part. And what about your workers?
0: Elizabeth, how many workers do you have on your team, and and then you guys? I'd love to know the same. and And how do you keep the pipeline? Because you know, we I always hear that there's not enough artisans in the in the U.S. There's not enough craftsmen. So how do you keep people coming along, younger people, to get them interested and in wanting to work with you, learn the trade, so to speak?
1: Well, it, it is tricky, and as I said, you know, our partner that we mm-hmm. work with and his workroom, I'm. We always talk about when they're hiring someone new. So it's somebody younger who doesn't knows very little. But so we're always how's he doing? Is he going to be good for this? Could he be good for that? You know, it's maybe, really maybe he difficult. could build things. Maybe he can do, you know, do other things.
0: Lloyd, how many people do you have on your team? Because Michael had mentioned to me that you've also had, like you've formed a partnership. I'd love to hear about that
2: as well. We have. um, So we, in our soft goods world, which is upholstery and drapery, we have probably about nine people right now. And we also have overflow resources that we direct in getting things done for us. You have to, because there's no way that we could possibly hire enough to uh, just to have people there in case we were really busy. And I guess we don't necessarily feel comfortable issuing a 16-week lead time. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah, right. laughs>
0: so you probably wouldn't have been right. in business for all these years if you had, you know?
3: Right. right. The band right. right. The I'm, right. right. I'm not
2: quite sure. My name's so, not
0: Holly Hunt. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not yet.
2: <laughs> so we, but we also be became part of another organization where we um, we actually manufacture our own roller shades and and motorized products, and that's kind of an exciting that's an exciting new world for us because or for me. I mean, we've always worked with these folks, and now we're working closely as in a partnership, like a true partnership with them. And uh, so we offer like almost every brand of home automation from SAMFI to Lutron, which that we don't make. That comes from Lutron Land, right? Right. <laughs> but we do make uh, products with Somfy components, which is a very big, big brand, and also. We we're very working very closely with Kulis, which is uh, from the Netherlands. They're very much a competitor of the big Hunter Douglas across the globe. Not as much here, but we're starting to make cellular shades as well. And we do motorized drapery tracks and we do the integration with home automation systems. So, And things are becoming more, I think things are trending that way. There's actually new products coming out soon that are going to be Basically, just Wi-Fi controlled where you'll have an app to put your shades up and down, and you don't need anything in between except your Wi-Fi network and your shade, and you'll be able to use your app to control them without... Having even the little control module that uh, is often so that's happening
0: way too dumb for these smart homes. I can tell you that right now. (laughs) This, you wouldn't be
2: too dumb for it, would be really good. It's just you just have to, (laughs) it's dumb proof. Oh, (laughs) in that case, maybe,
0: maybe. But you know, doing the house now is like so much more, people expect so much more of their home. And I, and you know, we talked about this on other episodes. During COVID, it's been a a nightmare for so many things, and so many people have lost their jobs and stuff. But home design has actually thrived because people are spending so much time at home. But I'm sure the pressure has been on all of you guys to ramp up. And people understand that there's a pandemic, but at the same time, they're spending money and they want what they want. And And they're still trying to
3: find new things and trying to find
0: things that to bring to
3: your clients and then right. losing companies that you used to work with all the time that didn't make it. Yeah, yeah. That's another hurdle to jump over that Calise is really bringing such new things to the market here in the States. So
0: what do you see your clients wanting next? Ooh,
1: next. To yeah. travel. Yeah, go out to dinner. <laughs> I was going out to dinner sound. Yeah, go out to
0: dinner. No, oh yeah, totally. <laughs> what are they looking
1: for next? <laughs> It's hard to say. I think that now we have more and more younger clients that have moved from the city so that they're doing whole houses and, you know, everything is, involves either around the kitchen family room setup because that's first and, you know, primary in their lives. But what they're looking for next is hard to say. They're trend driven to a degree.
0: Where do they find their inspiration? Like on
1: Instagram? On mostly? Instagram, on yeah. Pinterest and House, yeah, oh, I forgot to mention, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they definitely are on Pinterest and on the just let's say they're on the internet and they're just drilling down into anything wallpaper and
2: everything. Oh, yes. We still haven't gotten away from neutral land though, here in, oh, no. in no. the states, you know, yeah. we're still a very neutral palette home design yeah you know as far as um, consumers you know it's different with designers because they will take they will move colors and things and trends forward that way but i think the biggest selling shades we have are you know white and cream yes right and there's not you know that even even if right now is it yellow is pantone's color yellow Yellow and gray gray. yellow Yellow and and gray We are not selling yellow and gray sheets.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Like the designer will do the teal sofa Mm -hmm. and then it'll be photographed in this beautiful room with the teal sofa. And then maybe people will decide they'll do one teal pillow and they're on their beige sofa, you know?
3: I mean, for me, for design that I see happening, I mean, a lot of reworking plans from a year ago to have major home offices that
0: yes were, we were talked never, about that yes, before yeah, home offices and outdoor spaces yeah. and are outdoor usually, spaces yeah.
3: spaces really kid spaces were always important but even more yeah. using more of fabrics that are solution dyed or, or yeah, p- performance yes. fabrics. performance yes. fabrics yes. i mean that's another important. area
0: where the fabric companies have really oh, stepped yes. up yes. Yeah, they really mm-hmm.
3: have there's some unbelievable fabrics mm-hmm. out there now that I have to say use primarily performance fabrics on the main pieces because you can get such gorgeous velvets now that Absolutely. are so lush and I beautiful. do the same. Why, yeah, Tim Corrigan
0: always told me even for his yeah. fancy clients yes. he yeah, uses performance that's, fabrics. Yeah, ab- that's,
3: I do because it, you want to put a linen velvet or a silk velvet on a sofa, why? You can get the I mean it's a because single Because Michael a single we person. get to
2: reupholster it then in six <laughs> months.
1: <laughs> 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 That's you sell to. yourself here. <laughs> no, no. no. Yeah, really. I agree, though. There are so many options, and people love that. You tell them it's, it's a workhorse. It's not going to wear out.
0: Well, especially with kids. Well, if you have kids, well, and then, you know, that's really important. A lot of our and, business and comes and pets. from pets, Absolutely.
1: damaging yes, all the time. Yes, yes, and the right, fact too. that you
3: can use white, you can have you know white chairs and things like that, and and have animals and pets is just it's so exciting. Yeah. You know, to be able to do that.
0: Well, when I was growing up and I read all the design magazines, I always thought when I read the words custom made or it was a custom upholstery, I always thought that was a world far beyond my ken. But you guys are the ones who make it available for people. And I just think it's such an important thing that you do and such a service that you provide. And I'm not sure we've answered exactly Laura Alexander's quest where she can get these things made, but I'm sure she can find people who will do it because like you guys yeah,
1: I can think of one and there's
0: a great place in Pleasantville tape measure <laughs> and I'm sure she can find a local person because I find it so encouraging that craftsmanship and skilled trades people are still valued in the design world in the world at large but in the design world and you guys are making their work accessible to designers to the, the public and I just think that's such a great thing and I can't thank you enough for being on the Cherish podcast today. So thank you, Elizabeth, and thank you, Michael, and thank you, Lloyd. You've been listening to the Cherish podcast, brought to you, of course, by Cherish, which was recently voted by the readers of USA Today as the best place to shop online for furniture and home decor. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague. Or better yet, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word and we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The cherish podcast is produced by Britta Muller and engineered by hanger studios in New York until next time.